You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. invite you to turn in your scriptures to the book of Mark again, chapter 11. I'm going to be reading the same passage we read last week, Mark 11, starting in verse 12, and we'll read through 25, and then our focus is going to be on this last section uh, of this, but I wanted to read it in its entirety again to let us know where we're at. Mark 11, we'll start in verse 12. We have our picture from last week, uh, comes from the very back, from George turned this in to me last week, and he won it was between George and Anya last week. They hadn't won in a while, so George is taking us back into that scene where we're at of this this withered fig tree. It's got the maybe more more bigger branches than smaller ones, but a great picture. So this just proves no matter how old you are, hey, you hand me in a picture. I want to see what you're... I think we have some great older artists among us, and... Uh, in, let us enjoy that artistry and uh, glorify God in, in the gifts he've, He's given you. So, so we see that. Thank you, George. Um, let's start. Mark chapter 11, verse 12 through 25. Let's hear the word of the Lord together. On the following day when they came from Bethany, he was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, He found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. And they came to Jerusalem, and he entered the temple and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He would not allow anyone to carry anything through the temple. And he was teaching them and saying to them, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of robbers? And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him, for they feared him, because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. And when evening came, they went out of the city. As they passed by in the morning, they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that What he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. And whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone so that your father also who is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. Before we pray, I want to just highlight this passage. It can be a wonderful passage that we just read. It is because it's God's Word. And I hope we end today encouraged. But if you've been a believer for any length of time and prayed at all, these verses, 20 through 25, can begin to really trouble you if we're honest. 
perhaps answers to your prayers seem quite distant. They, they don't seem like this passage is working. So we want to look at what does Jesus mean that mountains are moved by prayer? That believing and asking is receiving. These are some bold statements and perhaps experientially you and I, we might say we've not seen this happen. So I want to pray for us and then we're going to look at the passage and I want to pray and we want to see what the text is saying. So let's pray together. Father, I pray for your help right now as we come to this passage. I don't doubt as we read this, many in this room are saying, what about this mountain? What about this unanswered prayer? Perhaps some are not in that boat and they're seeing you answer much and they're praying and they're watching and they're seeing you provide. Lord, we pray that they are part of the body. We thank, we are thankful for that. And may their encouragement of seeing you answer prayer be an encouragement to those of us discouraged. But we pray as we now step through the text, we pray for your Holy Spirit to drive into our hearts what you want to teach us, what the text is saying, what we want to learn about prayer, forgiveness. Oh, Lord, do a work by your spirit in this time in your name, the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. As we get into this passage, verse 20 has them passing by this tree in the morning. They see the fig tree withered away to its roots. And as we read, they passed this tree the day before. We talked about last week these fig trees with big leaves, and yet this particular one lacking any fruit. Uh, this crew ha- from there had gone on to the temple where Jesus was also looking for fruit and yet he did not find it. He found hearts really of irreverence. He did not find holiness or prayer or worship in the temple. It's supposed to be this place of worship, place of prayer. He did not find this in this dwelling place of God. And so we spoke last week of the idea of having the leaves of Christianity without the fruit, the holiness, the worship. And now Mark takes us back to the fig tree and right in front of these disciples and this object lesson presents itself. And here's Peter's reply in verse 21. Rabbi, look. I'm not sure Jesus needed the reminding, but Peter needs it. Rabbi, look. The fig tree that you cursed has withered. What's he saying here? What are we hearing here? It's what Jesus says happens. What Jesus curses is cursed. Jesus' words perform the action he desires. If he had said to this tree, fig tree, bear fruit, what would it have done? Bared fruit, it would have obeyed the maker. If he said, tree, turn into a purple tree, what would it have done? It would have been purple and so on. We could go and ask this a lot. What if? It would because what Jesus says happens. And we're used to this or We should be in Mark, right? We're used to Jesus saying things and they happen. There's healing. He says, be open. Ears are open. Be loosed. Tongues are loosed. He says to the waves, be still. And the waves are stilled. What he says happens. So here with this tree, he had said, be cursed. And the tree stands cursed. This cursed fig tree displays for the disciples and for us, the reader, the greatness of a God who speaks 
And it happens. That God being Jesus right here. Think of it. John 1 tells us Jesus is the very Word of God. And that all things were made through Him. Hebrews 1.3 puts it this way. It says of Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. Here's what Jesus does by His words. Maybe those of you that know the rest of the verse. He upholds the universe by the word of His power. This is not some cartoonish Jesus just with long flowing hair. This is the universe holder, the one that holds everything by a word. That's who the disciples are seeing amongst this fig tree. He displays His glory. He's the maker of heaven and earth. That's who is before them. And now this very word of power speaks and answers to what these disciples are seeing. And it's in verse 22 and 23. It goes on, but let me just read those. Verse 22, Jesus answered them, have faith in God. Truly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. I think verse 22 here especially lays out really the gist of this entire section and the command of Jesus Four in the English here, four words, have faith in God. The first two, the command, what are they to do? You, you all have faith. And then the next two are really the lesson of the fig tree and the foundation of why Jesus can even tell us to move mountains. It's because of the object of one's faith. Again, don't, it's saying don't trust in these buildings, in this, even this temple structure that we saw about yesterday. That's not the thing. That's not the object. It's trust and believe. It's put your faith in God, in Jesus, the greater temple in which His people dwell. We dwell in this greater temple in Christ. So by a word spoken, Jesus curses this fig tree and it withers. And so by his very word, these mountains can move for the one who believes in him. Now we might ask here, verse 23, what is this mountain? Where is this mountain? And my leaning as I began to study this, well, maybe it's the Jerusalem mountain, you know, Mount Zion, it's Jerusalem, it's this city. They're kind of looking, if you remember geography, they're looking at a mountain. Perhaps it's that mountain. I hold that maybe 10%. I don't know. Uh, from all of what my other research and reading, I, I don't think it's that. I think it's something else. But it could be. I mean, eventually that mountain was destroyed about 40 years after this time of Jesus going through in 70 A.D. It was, you might say, raised up and thrown. It was destroyed, that mountain. But I think more so we would be better off just with even a simpler explanation here it's the language of mountains it's the language of impossibility it's the language of difficulty of moving something like a mountain of it actually being thrown it's an illustration and and it along with the fig tree these are illustrations of impossibilities and so the god who's able to wither fig trees is the god who's able to move mountains but the condition here in the text is Move this mountain, there's a condition. Faith, believe, not doubting. 
He who believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. Okay, so now we're starting to go, okay, how belief, is it how much I believe? What if I doubt? All these different things. As we begin to have those questions, here's what I find interesting in the passage itself. Uh, there's really no footnotes here. Mark does not spell out exceptions like, hey, by the way, or this sort of thing, to this call of putting faith in God in prayer. He doesn't lay down the command of Jesus, believe, you know, don't doubt, and then say, well, hey, by the way, just in case this, this uh, doesn't work or you don't see it come to pass, here's, here's the reason why. No, God has spoken. He just says, have faith in God. Now, we're the ones asking the questions as we come to this passage, but the text is not. The text is, again, like I said, no footnotes to this promise. It's simply believe, pray, have faith in God. I think we ask about this passage or we wonder when we see mountains in our own lives that we've wanted moved and they remain. Um, Perhaps a mountain of sinful attitudes seems to just stay put. Lord, I prayed for that mountain to move, it seems. A mountain of bitterness. Maybe there's a financially hard mountain or a relationally hard mountain and we're maybe timid to ask God to move because it seems the mountain remains and does not move. Other than the text, I have no quick and easy answer for this disconnect we might feel at least but here's what we do have and i think it's wonderful i hope we can grasp onto it because we could end the sermon right here it's verse 22 if you're in the underline your bible i would just underline have faith in god we have we can go nowhere other than what the text gives us and it gives us have faith in god have faith in God. It's what the text says. And so we're leaning in to really the text. We're leaning, have faith in God. I don't, mountains moved. I don't know how, when, exceptions, all this. Have faith in God. It's maybe not the easiest of answers or easy to understand, but it's what Jesus is telling and saying to us. But having faith in God, as we think about that, it does require that we know. God, if we're going to have faith in Him, let's get to know Him. And how has He revealed Himself? His very Word. And so I want to just read a couple passages that help us as we have faith in God and we're thinking about mountains or we think that they have not moved. Let's come back to some helpful Scriptures as we contemplate unanswered, at least to our experience, unanswered prayer. Isaiah 46, the last part of verse 9 and 10, says, I am God and there is none like Me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purpose. That's have faith in. That's the God we're to have faith in. Here's another one of the God we're to have faith in. Psalm 135, 6. Whatever the Lord pleases, He does in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all deeps. How about Isaiah 55, 8 through 9? For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. 
What's this saying? It's saying God's eternal and right and good and just purposes will all prevail according to His definite plan and counsel. And yet, and at the same time, so we hold that dearly, He tells us to pray. Not just pray small, pray big and bold and impossible things, exercising God-given faith that looks to Him in our weaknesses to do what's impossible for us to do. Mark 14.36 illustrates uh, the tension of believing prayer and God's will. Jesus really our example. Do you want to turn there? It's just a couple pages from where you're at in Mark 11. Uh, 14. 36, I believe, is the reference. He's praying in the, the garden before his arrest and eventual crucifixion trial. That's uh, verse 36. Here's Jesus praying. Here's this tension. And who's the, who's the example par excellence? Jesus. And here's what he says, verse 36. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you, like removing mountains. All these things. And for in this case, remove this cup from me. The blood that we sang about this morning was not an easy blood transaction. The worst of all worst to bear that curse and that sin. I sang, if it be possible, remove. There's the one. And then, but the other, yet not what I will, but what you will. Paul Miller speaks of this in his book, A Praying Life. And let me just put a plug in for prayer meeting. We're reading this book, at prayer meeting, on Wednesday nights at 6. So those of you that come to prayer meeting, you've already, you're, you're on to this a little bit. Um, but join us. It's a whole book on the praying life, and it's encouraging. Um, again, not a lot of easy answers, but just that walking by faith and seeing God, beginning to watch for His answers. But here's what he says about Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane. He says, Quote, Jesus' prayer at Gethsemane demonstrates perfect balance, unquote. What he's getting at is Jesus asks for the impossible. Father, take this cup from me. And yet at the same time, submits to the will of his father. And he points out here that what Jesus himself is demonstrating in his own very personal and heartfelt prayer life, it's one of asking boldly. Asking the impossible, believing, and yet at the same time, a heart of submission to the Father's will. Our submitting to God's will, it's, it's, it's not a kind of you know, let God off the hook. Well, if you don't see your mountain moved, it, I mean, here's the thing. No, it's a full, it's a re- response for us to submit. It's part of the asking big. It's praying big, and yet we're informed by Scripture that God has a plan higher than and better than our ways. Praise God. So we ask big. We trust big in all areas. But we just add to that. I'm just adding another big. We submit big as we ask big. As in our example is Christ. And so we Desire to have faith in God. Um, a writer, W. Bingham Hunter, he's wrote a book called The God Who Hears. I have it in my office. I think it was a gift from someone, maybe even Marge Bucknell. I can't remember if I got it uh, from there. But he wrote a book, The God Who Hears. And he says this, and he, 
And he, what he's doing is he's speaking in this quote about our tendency of faith. We're, and we're kind of camping on this, have faith in God. Who is the object of our faith? So he's talking about, do we have faith in faith or do we have faith in God? These two routes, you might say. Having faith in faith looks at unanswered prayer and say, I've got to have more faith. I've got to do this. I'm probably doubting. I'm, you know, or it leads to, I don't know if God can do it. He's probably... Maybe he can't, that sort of thing. Or is there faith in God that says you can do the impossible? Here's his illustration. He says, he says, great faith that you can fly a hang glider. You know a hang glider? It's got the bars on it. I've never flown one, but, you know, you push off, go off a cliff with a hang glider, and you're out. Okay, you get the picture of where he's at. He says, great faith that you can fly a hang glider counts for nearly nothing when you jump off the cliff. What matters is only whether the object of your faith, the design, structure, and durability of your glider, is sound. No amount of pilot skill can compensate for a flawed craft. That's what you want. You might go off and say, I can fly. But if the glider is put together by duct tape and bungee cords, it's not probably going to keep you up. It's going to fail. You get the idea of the object of our faith. So he says this, he says, faith in faith says, Lord, I have the faith to get what I want. Lord, I need it. That's faith in faith. And now, you know, just fill in the blank, faith in faith or faith in God. Here's now what he says. Faith in God says, Lord, give me faith to accept what you want. Lord, I need you. There's a whole chasm of difference of praying like that so having faith in god it's the foundation i think of prayer here and now verses 24 and 25 give us the attitude that we're to take with us in prayer and and we're going to see we're going to land right back into this area of belief and faith back in verse 24 where it says therefore i tell you jesus says therefore i tell you whatever you ask in prayer Believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Verse 24, it's, it's a therefore statement. It's a because of this. It's a since this is so, since you have faith in God, mountains can be moved. Therefore, put your faith in a God who can move those mountains and believe that what you ask, what you pray, you'll receive. And let me just say here, again, our questions come in. Right again, believe and receive. Ask and it will be done. I mean, come on, no, does anybody think this anymore? Here's some more help from a guy named John Bloom. And he says this in an article titled, Unanswered Prayers Are Invitations from God. Again, we're back on this. We can't get very far from We're back to looking at our belief, faith in faith, faith in God. And he says this, unanswered prayers are invitations from God. Here's what he's saying. He says, he... That is Jesus knows this promise right here. I believe he's referring right here. What where we're at in Mark eleven twenty four, Jesus knows this promise presses us beyond our limits. He means it to. That's why he made it. He is drawing us beyond what we've yet seen and experienced, and he's calling out a trust in us that we don't think we have, and are scared to really exercise. Jesus' purpose is not to shame us for our little faith. 
He's inviting us to come further up and further in. He goes on to say in his article, this is what we must keep in mind. Prayer is a relational interaction, not merely a service transaction. I love that difference in language. It's a relational interaction. It's not a service transaction. It says faith is not divine currency that we pay God in order to receive whatever we ask in prayer. Faith is a relational response of trust in what God promises. Faith says to God, I trust what you say so much that I will live by what you say. And those who are audacious enough to really live by what God says will see mountains move that God once moved. Again, we're back to this object of our faith. Faith or God? Bingham Hunter again says, when we pray with faith in God and receive no answers, there are still questions, but there is also God. So when you pray, ask, believe. Ask as James says, without doubting. Ask not for your own pleasures, but for God's will, which will be what we desire, I think, if we are having our faith in God. But then Jesus lays out one other condition in prayer, one other attitude, and it's perhaps the greatest mountain of them all. And it's in verse 25 of forgiveness. Whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father also who is in heaven may forgive you you, your trespasses. When you stand praying, forgive. In some ways, and at first glance, we go, this passage seems kind of out of place. What, what's this doing here? I mean, we're, we're talking about fig trees and mountains and belief. How did we jump to forgiveness? You recall Jesus' words back in Mark chapter 2, that healing of the paralytic uh, that was raised down by the, by the guys from the roof, and they let him down. And you remember that scene? And, and Jesus perceived that these scribes will question what he's doing and and uh, because he had said to this man before he even healed him he just said son your sins are forgiven remember the order of that and uh, the scribes he perceives they're going to question and he says what's what's easier to say to the paralytic your sins are forgiven or to say rise take up your bed and walk what's jesus saying he's saying that the rising and the walking that's nothing That's what's easy. The mountain in that case is forgiveness. Maybe you can identify with a mountain that needs moving. This gets to application for us. Perhaps God is even revealing to us before we exit this passage what mountain we need moved. And I I pray we have a God-centered vision of the mountains we need moved. Perhaps getting beyond maybe just our neighbor's literal mountain or whatever, some junk pile, boy, I hope that's moved or, or this sort of thing, that we're looking with God-given, God-given vision and eyes and faith to say, Lord, what mountain needs moved in me? Not an external mountain, but within. Not a mountain of someone else's attitude, but our own. Not a mountain of financial need or relational need, but maybe a mountain of bitterness or resentment that's 20,000 feet high and it needs to be thrown into the sea. 
We want to pray and trust God to move those mountains according to His will. The attitude when standing to pray, it's one here of forgiveness. And this is not easy. We can harbor bitterness. But how can we when we stand? Think of it. And again, we're going back to verse 22. Have faith in God. Who is this God? How can we pray to a holy God, undeserving of His grace? We're unholy, unrighteous. We're accessing the King by His grace. And yet, we're not forgiving this other person. We don't have a heart of forgiveness. How do we withhold that from others? Jesus talks about this in Matthew 18. You don't need to turn there. You remember this parable, though. Peter has come to Jesus and asked how many times he should forgive someone. Maybe seven. That seems like a lot. Jesus tells this story and he tells Peter, no, seven uh, times. Seventy times seven. And he talks about that servant that owed a huge sum of money to this this lender. He owed 10,000 talents. I think I have my math somewhat right, but one talent, at least from what I'm looking at, it was about 20 years wages. So there's, he owes 10,000 talents. One talent is around 20 years of wages. It's a lot of money. That's a huge debt. However, you figure talents and all those things out. It's a magnificently huge sum of money. Such a bad debt that this man's wife and children, all that he owned, they were to be sold off. That's this big debt. And yet this man that's been given pity really by the king and the king says, you know, release you of that debt. This man goes out. He finds a fellow servant who owed him about a hundred denarii. And that's about just one day's wage. So he finds this guy. He's been forgiven this huge debt, finds this guy and says, you pay up. You better pay. You owe me a day's wages. He seized him. He chokes him. The, The man pleads with him, give me time. And yet the one with the bigger debt put this one with the smaller debt, put him in prison. The king hears of this and he brings this man before him and here's what he says to him. This man who had been forgiven all these things. You wicked servant. I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all its debt. How long is that going to take? So also my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. We're getting a picture of a mountain to be moved. God's moved mountains for us to be forgiven. One who has faith in God believes that God exists. Sees and yet he sees himself for who he really is. An undeserving recipient of grace. He needs to show grace to those that wrong him. A couple thoughts as we conclude here. Brothers, sisters in the Lord, take fully and by faith the promises of God in this passage to move mountains. Believe. He is a universe-holding maker of heaven and earth, speaking God. Believe. And in believing, seek first, words of Scripture, seek first the kingdom of God. Pray again, Lord, not my own will, but yours be done. 
looking to God. Pray big. Pray the impossible. And pray in submission. Submitting to His good and perfect will. Oh Lord, it's so much better than my will. I want that. And then ask God to move mountains within our own hearts. So we come away from this and and we ask, what are you going to pray for? You have today, we have in Christ a buffet line that we can pray for. You can pray for this. You can pray for health as we did today. You can pray about the weather. And I, I think our tendency is to not, as we're learning in this book, is to not pray about all the little things. Pray. Pray without ceasing. Pray about everything that's going on. And pray big. Pray with faith. But I would just encourage us as we pray to pray, Lord, may you be the treasure that I seek. I want to just pray that things are comfortable for me here or today or that this hard thing just is gone. Lord, if you brought this hard thing, then Lord, I pray that it's going to lead me to treasure you again and pray with that kind of faith. Lord, move mountains. Move mountains of belief. Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. Move that mountain. Lord, you're telling me to forgive. I can't. That's hard. Yes, you're weak. That's why you pray for Him to help you. Pray. And pray that God's beauty would would be your focus, your treasure, your delight. Um, We're touching on some of those things. We're going to touch on them through Sunday school class. I hope you can join us. That God is our focus. He is the delight. That we want to worship Him. Worthy is Your name. And to sing it forever to this beautiful one. Let's pray together. Lord, we are at the end of this passage. And Father must admit, we still don't understand all unanswers. We don't understand the hows or the whys. But as we learned from Job, Lord, we want eyes fixed on You. We want to have heard of You, but we want to see You. So Lord, increase our faith to trust You. To do as verse 22 tells us to do, to have faith in God. And Lord, what You're asking is impossible unless by Your grace You give us that faith. So Lord, give us faith to believe. Give us faith that would move mountains. And Lord, move mountains in our own lives with roots so deep of bitterness or anger or resentment or hate, or idolatry. Lord, wither those roots. Speak to them, Lord. Speak into our lives. And Lord, when we see You doing a mountain-moving work in our lives, help us not to reject You as though we see You against us, but that we see You as for us and for Your glory in us. So Lord, we ask together, Lord, guide us. Increase our faith. Be glorified in our lives, we pray. In Jesus' name.